Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I am joined by my childhood friend, Christopher Dow. Oh golly gosh! And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Moving on to the rankings. And we are discussing (laughs) our all-time top 100 video games. This week, we have our number 71s. But before we do that, I, I think it's time, guys, to, uh, to take a trip to, uh, to Bristol. Bristol? Why? Well, upon our arrival to the city, crossing <laughs> over the magnificent Clifton Suspension Bridge, we can admire the ingenious engineering artistry of Quisenbard Kingdom <laughs> Brunel. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so the score is currently, it's 14-13 to Chris. Correct. Grumble, grumble, grumble. In the game Mortal Kombat, what phrase is heard when Scorpion... Get over here! (laughs) Congratulations, Minty. Yeah. Drawn level. Just noticed a typo on this question. The question is actually, what phrase is heard when Scorpion uses his spear? (laughs) Really? Yeah. It's just giving you dating advice, Scorpion. Get over her. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. So, what have we been playing this week, guys? Chris, what have you been playing? I've played uh, a bit of Mario Maker 2, still. And as my my hot take for the week, I won't go on too much, but playing, like, the endless mode and, and going through some of just, like, even the easy levels... I think even rubbish levels are fun to play because the core mechanics of Mario are, are fun. And I think it's it's probably the best overall 2D Mario package we've had probably since maybe New Super Mario Bros. on the DS mm. because it you know it has a great campaign mode, a, a single-player mode, but also this this kind of limitless thing means that if, if you're in the mood for that sort of game that controls in that sort of way, you know, if, if you go through 10 levels, you're going to play some good ones, some bad ones and everything in between. But the, the core mechanic is, is always fun. But because that is a, a game that takes a certain amount of concentration, especially when you're playing t- tougher stages, I've also played a terrible but very sort of calming, relaxing game called Windstorm, which is like a tie into a weird German horse movie. I mean, I saw that you were playing this and I thought, well, surely this is part of an elaborate joke. No, it's, I don't know, I get, do you remember when I played Car Quest and I said it wasn't very good on on the Switch months and months back? Yeah, I think about it most days. <laughs> but it's got a similar feel that it's just something to kind of do when you just move around and, and just explore an area. There's almost no pressure and it's it's not a good game and it runs pretty badly on the Switch as well. And yet I played it to completion, 100%, probably like 12 to 15 hours worth of play on a game that's not very good. But it was a really nice like uh, counterpoint to Mario Maker. So, yeah, played that. I wouldn't recommend it, but I certainly played it. <laughs> and then finally, a, a genuine recommendation to both of you that I picked up on the eShop maybe only yesterday, I think. It's down to like £1.69 or something now from about a tenner, so it's a big drop. It is a roguelike Metroidvania-type game called uh, A Robot Named Fight. It is very much like cribbing from a Super Metroid, like in, in style, certainly. But each each kind of run, it's it's a newly generated map. You're you're looking for kind of the upgrades that will help open doors and get around like Metroid games. But I think for one pound sixty nine, even if you don't love it, I think you would both as Metroid fans really get something out of it more than I do probably as well because it's a, a genre that you're both into. So for a series of pennies, I, I would say go for it. And that is the only other thing I played this week really. Those three. 
Excellent. Well, thank you for that. Chris, Minty, what have you been playing this week? I, I've also been playing a bit of Mario Maker and making some Marios. I've also been playing Valkyria Chronicles. I broke the back of the level that I was stuck on. I think it was level two. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I'm having a nice time with it. I'm upgrading my weapons. I'm shooting folks in a very thinly veiled facsimile of World War II Europe. Oh. That's all. As for myself, I have been away on a shoot this week, so I uh, spent a lot of time in the car. I knew that I probably wouldn't get much Super Mario Maker play done simply because car play, trying to operate a stylus would be a nightmare and also no internet connection to play other people's levels. So I decided to pick up Moonlighter to play. Now, Moonlighter is a little indie game and it can be best described as a cross between Stardew Valley and The Binding of Isaac. Oh dear. What a fatal combo. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, exactly. And it's it's a lot of fun. You basically, you're a, a young man called Will. So he runs a shop in a town. By day and by night, he goes and adventures through dungeons to get artifacts to sell in the shop. And then you can craft new equipment to get stronger, to go through harder dungeons. And you can develop the town to get more things. And you just rinse and repeat. And it's it's a nice loop. When I started the game, I was convinced it was going to be one of my all-time favourite games. Uh, It's not, because it's not anywhere near as deep as I thought it was going to be. There's loads of stuff that you collect from the dungeons, loads of materials and things. I thought, amazing, I'm going to be crafting new armour and new weapons and and making things for my shop and all kinds of stuff. And to be honest, you can't craft with 98% of the things you pick up. You just take it back to the shop and sell it. So, I mean, it was good fun and it was quite enjoyable to play in the car. Like I say, I was a bit disappointed with how shallow it actually ended up being. And it could have, I mean, it was nowhere near as deep as Stardew Valley. Uh, I mean, and gameplay wise, nowhere near as fun as Binding of Isaac. But it was an okay game. It was a bit buggy, to be honest. Mm. The, the game crashed a few times. I got stuck in things. You could roll through walls occasionally, or it was just, yeah, I don't know. It didn't feel terribly finished. And that was a bit of a shame, but it was okay. I'm going to trade it in as soon as I can. And that's it. I'm, yeah, looking forward to getting back to some Mario Maker now that I'm, I'm home. Lovely. So, moving on to the rankings. Starting this week, we have Minty. Can you please <laughs> tell us what your 71st favourite video game is, please? Yes, I can. Do you remember the 90s? Yes. No. Loved them. Loved the 90s. Slime. Mm. Uh, yikes. Pencil cases. Oh, yeah. Freeze pops. Yo-yos. <laughs> yo-yos. Pogs. And by extension, Tazos. Oh, Tazos. Lovely, greasy Tazos. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, all sorts of great things came out of the 90s, including lots and lots of games involving things where you could play as animals and creatures and that sort of thing, or use creatures in the games that you were playing to, to wondrous effect. And I think this is a game that does that. One of the things that the 90s also brought to the table was uh, the third dimension. This was just a really fun, quite early 3D platformer where you played as a... A bandicoot. Not quite a bandicoot, no. A croc. No. A gecko. No. Okay. A uh, bug. 
a bug. He, he didn't have a Saturn. Come on. Was Bug only on the Saturn? It was, yeah. Saturn exclusive. Oh, what an exclusive. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> I love Bug. It's in my list. Is it? No. <laughs> this is a Nintendo 64 game. Ah, you love the Nintendo 64. I do. I loved it. I played it so much it blew up. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I was halfway. I was actually, yeah. I think I was actually playing this game when my when my Nintendo sixty four like just went bang and stopped working. This game is Banjo Kazooie. Ah, oh, Banjo Kazooie. Typical rare. They'll look at a game that came before. In this case, I imagine Super Mario sixty four, mm. the sixty fourth Mario game. <laughs> 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 and say, oh, this is something that we can do now with the hardware that we have. Let's let's take it one step further. So you're not only controlling one character, you're sort of controlling two. But one lives in the character that you're really controlling's uh, backpack, mm. even when they're in their house. Because <laughs> he hangs up the backpack on the um, on the coat rack. And the bird is still in there. The bird's name is Kazooie, which is where Kazooie comes from um, in the title, Banjo-Kazooie. I really love this game. I played it, I actually played it after I played Banjo-Tooie about 400 times as uh -huh. well. And even though even though that game was uh, took everything that the first game did and made it better, I still really liked the first game because it was... It was just so well done. It was fun. It was whimsical. The music was great, Ooh, controlled like yeah. a dream. The music yeah, was good. Grant Kirkhope. And on top of just enjoying this game, I've also been enjoying over many years just the little pops of trivia that sprout out of the uh, the aloe vera plant that is the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly does revolve around Grant Kirkhope doing all the sounds. Like he really had to draw out the vase that you poop an egg into to make flowers grow. He really had to draw out them saying thank you because uh, Nintendo kept thinking that he was making them say fuck you. <laughs> so if you go back and listen, it's like thank you. Yeah, just a really bright, fun to play game. I say fun to play. There is one part which I think sticks in the mind of everybody who plays it. It's the bit with the... Um... Game show. The, the massive shark. Well, the, there's two bits with the sharks, because there's the shark, I think it's Nipper, <laughs> who lives in the sea in a Treasure Trove Cove. So whenever you go swimming, he's like, ah, I'm going to nibble on you, which adds an unnecessary, if I'm being honest, unnecessary level of peril. <laughs> But then, of course, you have the giant mechanical uh, waste disposal system that is some kind of metal cyborg shark called Clanker. Ooh, he sounds like a total Clanker. Is it Clanker, Clanker's Cavern? Is that the name of the level? Clanker's Cavern is the name of the level. And you get into Clanker's Cavern proper through, like, I don't know, some kind of tunnel that you swim through. And as soon as you get to the end of the tunnel, you're facing Clanker dead on and... As he's sort of delivering his dialogue, where he's like, "Oh, me clanker, me, um, <laughs> me, 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 nasty witch's disposal system, don't like dirty water." He's just facing you with his big, dead, unblinking eyes, <laughs> and he opens his mouth really, really wide, and it's—it was the most terrifying thing 
It was terrifying. It sounds it. Because <laughs> he's just there like... <laughs> but then you help him by knocking out his bad teeth and moving him out of the water. And he doesn't eat you. That's nice. And all is well. So there we go. Banjo-Kazooie. Great game. Tumultuous emotional roller coaster. <laughs> Varied levels, which was a real calling card of the N64 in, back in those days. You could go from the snowy mountain uh, to the desert to the swamp <laughs> to uh, like a shipyard, some woods, a castle, a mountain... Another mountain, <laughs> a beach. I think that's all of them. Oh no, and a haunted house. Oh, don't forget that. I was just going to go back to your earlier interjection, talking about the final boss, which was precluded by like a, a board game game show type thing. Yeah. So not only did you have to complete the game by playing through it, but you also had to remember all the stuff that you did. Because Gruntilda the Witch would ask you questions like, how many flies are in Bubble Gloop Swamp's house? <laughs> or, what's my favourite smell? You were fine because of the autism. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm just thinking about the poor heteronormative people <laughs> who... <laughs> The less neurodivergent. Yes, yes. The non-eidetic memories. So shed a tear for those who just played through the game and didn't really sort of appreciate it on a deepened photographic level. <laughs> I think it's uh, Rare's best platform game for me. Ooh. Purely because, I, I know this is controversial, and by the sounds of it, you've probably got other, other games a bit higher, but by the time it got to Banjo-Tooie and then onwards to, to Donkey Kong 64... The, the collectathon thing just became too much for me. It spiraled, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. And, and Banjo Kazooie was, was like, I don't know, a step up from Mario 64 in terms of like what you needed to pick up. But it still felt like you, you could keep things in memory mm. and have kind of a working idea of where things were and what you were still after. And I think, yeah, when, when they kind of moved on, and even Jet Force Gemini, thinking about it, the amount of stuff you're expected to retain in terms of location and also remember, okay, well, when I've got this character or this power or whatever, I'm going to go back and, and recollect this or get it. It just it got a bit much. And I think for me, Banjo-Kazooie was like the, the best version of that formula, the kind of the 32-bit and 64-bit collectathon mascot platformer type thing. So there we go. Those are my thoughts on Banjo-Kazooie, a game. Moving on, we have my game. This is the second game in my list from this particular series. I don't know why I'm being so uh, obtuse about it. It's the second Sonic game in my list. Oh. And it is the direct follow-up to the first Sonic game that was in my list. This game is Sonic & Knuckles. Ah. I know that these were developed side by side uh, and originally envisaged as one complete game, but... As far as I was concerned, this was very much a, a separate game, owing to the fact that you were able to play as Knuckles the Echidna, which is something I was very excited to do when I saw this game in the Sonic Jam collection that I had. Mm. Now, Knuckles had some interesting characteristics that separated him from Sonic. Not only could you glide through the air to help traverse the increasingly baffling terrain, 
Although how you did that from a physiological point of view is a total mystery. <laughs> but you could also use your big clawed knuckles. Ooh. Again, not a familiar characteristic of the common garden echidna, but you could use them to climb walls. And you know, in fact, given the properties that knuckles had in the game, flying, climbing, being red, I, I wonder if the developers actually did any research into what an echidna is or does. Well, about, fact, about as I much mean, as a fast blue hedgehog, to be honest. I mean, you're absolutely <laughs> right. I mean, they basically stuck two fingers up at their funding application when it said, what educational purposes are these games going to have? <laughs> <laughs> if Knuckles' superpower was to simultaneously possess the properties of a mammal whilst also producing eggs, then I may have been a little more well-informed. <laughs> but in the absence of David Attenborough talking about his endothermic vertebrae and four-chambered heart, whilst he also squatted above a nest to lay a scrambly, my yes. overall impression of an echidna left me, rather ironically, with egg on my face when I conducted a class presentation in year three. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the thing that I loved about being able to glide and climb, as the echidna is wont to do, was the fact that you could explore with a lot less abandon. And my curiosity would continually lead me off-piste to find the absolute limits of levels. So I would climb up all the walls to the very height and then jump off and glide and see, basically see if I could break the game and be like, oh, I wonder if they've actually programmed something up here. And it, it, it turns out they, they, they had. But <laughs> I wondered, thinking about it, I wonder if this is the seed of my enjoyment with uh, Metroidvania games. That kind of just wanting to explore, getting some new abilities and trying to explore other areas to see what I could find. Maybe that's where that came from. It could be. So obviously one of the coolest things about Sonic & Knuckles was the functionality that the cartridge had with its flip top lid to plug the other Sonic cartridges into. And as I said, I had this as part of the Sonic Jam collection on the Saturn. So I'll always be a bit gutted that I never got to have the physical version of the game. Because I think aside from playing the game, playing with the game would have been quite fun as well. I think it would have been quite satisfying just to... Ooh, just... Just, oh, just connect things, you know? It did have a, a, a lovely physicality to it. Oh, I bet it did. Very responsive. Good action. It had a little um, a little door as well. Like, it, was, it wasn't literally like an exposed cartridge. It had a little sliding door. It did. Yeah, I have, I have fond memories of that. Yeah, although I'm sure that, like, if you got really stressed out after playing Sonic & Knuckles with Sonic 3, and then you thought, actually, you know what, I'm going to unplug this, I think your sweaty palms would make it hard to, to find suitable purchase to uh, remove the cartridge. <laughs> in, in other trivia, this is, no one's going to be interested in this, but here we go. Sonic 3 came in a proper hard clamshell case like every other Mega Drive game. Sonic & Knuckles came in a cardboard box with a little tray in it, <laughs> and it got smashed to pieces. So when I was a kid, I had a proper Sonic 3 box, and I had just... A, you know, a pile of cardboard to, to look after my Sonic <laughs> & Knuckles cartridge, which arguably was uh, the one that needed more protection because it had a hat. Maybe it needed less protection. It was equipped with its own own safety equipment. <laughs> its own PPE. <laughs> yeah. So linking up Sonic & Knuckles with Sonic 3, you kind of unlocked the full version of the sort of the both combined games. So you could have Knuckles in Sonic 3, and there were some other elements that I think were unlocked as well in terms of, I don't know, some emeralds, probably, I imagine, being Sonic. More rings, probably. I don't know. So, with a game so similar to Sonic 3, why is this ranked a few places higher? Come on. 
I don't know. The answer is, of course, the music. Oh, oh. That, oh dear. This is, <laughs> this is controversial. I mean, we, obviously, we talked at length about the music in Sonic 3 being quite phenomenal, and it is, yeah. but the trouble is, Sonic & Knuckles, as an overall soundtrack, probably isn't as strong as Sonic 3, but it does have my all-time favourite Sonic track in it, which is, of course, what, Chris? Um... I think it is it Sandopolis. It's not Sandopolis, but Sandopolis what did have fantastic music and also really cool gameplay elements with the light switches you needed to pull to get rid of the spooky ghosts that were following yeah, you. That, that was great. That was scary as a kid. It it was. Yeah, it was quite tense, really quite tense. And I think I remember actually learning how to play some of the music from Sandopolis. So you'd be forgiven for thinking that that was my favorite track, but no. So what is it? Lay it on us. Flying Battery. Oh, yeah, okay, that is a ripper. Yeah, it is just <laughs> it is a incredible. And, and you have to give props as well. In, in Sonic Mania, when they, they had a new composer sort of revisit a lot of these themes, yeah. the, the Flying Battery one is equally good, you know, with, with kind of modern synth work. It's lovely. I mean, to be honest, it was the main reason I got Sonic Mania. Yeah. Because I thought, I'm going to get to listen to that again, and that's just great. It's genuinely one of my favourite computer game pieces of music ever. I absolutely, I just love it. I absolutely love it. Also love the music in the opening zone, Mushroom Hill. Yeah. And something that puzzles me is I don't know how they make the music sound mushroomy, but it does. <laughs> <laughs> I think th- th- this is just a guess. There's a lot of, um, what would you call it? Is it glissando when you move between notes, like as a slide? Yeah. There's a lot of that kind of like sloppy playing almost like between notes. And I think mm. in combination, because you're jumping off mushrooms, there's a lot of that like bouncy springy sound. Bouncy sound. I, I yeah. think because that just becomes part of the music almost. Yeah. Like these kind of weird sort of offbeat sound effects as you're leaping about. But yeah, I mean, the whole, the soundscape of the whole thing is stunning. I can't, can't fault yeah, it. It really is. It really is. I just absolutely love the game. I think the inclusion of Knuckles as a playable character is the thing that kind of tipped it over the edge for me in terms of when I turn on Sonic Jam and I didn't know which one I wanted to play, I'd probably just go for Sonic and Knuckles or I'd go for Sonic and Knuckles with Sonic 3 or Sonic 2. And yeah, I just loved it. I just loved it. I don't know if it's a a better game than Sonic 3. I slightly preferred it for the things I've mentioned, but Sonic and Knuckles is... My 71st favourite video game. Deal with it. <laughs> what, what's sad, like I won't talk too much about it because as you have inferred uh, or previously when we talked about Sonic 3, these games may appear somewhere on my list. But it's, it's hard to get hold of these games now. Like when you buy the, the Mega Drive collections on any platform, you always pretty much now get Sonic 1 and 2 uh, and the spin-offs like uh, Sonic Spinball and Sonic 3D. But because there are like weird legal battles with, with Sonic 3 and to do with the music licensing because it's got a weird connection to Michael Jackson, yeah. the two games just never seem to appear anymore. Or when they do, like they, they did appear in the, the collection that came out for the 360 and the PS3, you couldn't connect them together, which was like a fatal oversight. That's a huge error. It's because they are, you know, in all essence, one game sort of thing that should be played in, in one chunk. Yeah. And, and yeah, you couldn't do that in that collection. And, and it was awful because you could, going back to the Mega Collection on the GameCube, and you could, going back to Sonic Jam. So yeah, I, I hope that one day they, they sort out whatever these issues are. And we get a nice M2 port to the Switch like they've done with Sonic 1 now. Because you know it'd have those little extras that I think we thoroughly enjoy because of the amount of time we put into these games as kids. Absolutely. What a game. What a great game. So, 
Lastly, but certainly not leastly, we have Chris. Can you please tell us about your 71st favourite video game? This is one of those games, when I was doing the list, I, I thought of it really late on and then had to do a lot of shuffling around to fit it in because mm. it came up in conversation with someone else and, and then I suddenly thought, I don't know, this has to be in there. I've played this for hours and I had to kind of find a spot for it. <laughs> but it, it was, wasn't one that kind of jumped to memory when I was, when I was going through like release lists. It's essentially, it's, it's a remake, but it's also kind of, I don't know, a remaster of a remake or, or more of a remaster of a remaster. Like it's had several iterations and it was one that came out before doing that like we have now you know games are remastered all the time it was it was before that was like an industry practice before it was particularly cool i don't think it was a particularly lucrative time to do this either like to revisit really old titles like this because originally it was a 1987 strategy game for home computers like oh i didn't play it then because i was uh, only just born <laughs> um, but it was then remade for home computers and i think it got ports to the mega drive from like looking at lists in my head in about 1993 until it finally got like this remaster of a remaster, like I said, on, on the original Xbox and home computers and finally the PSP in uh, 2004. And I played it on the PSP. And it is the wonderful Sid Meier's Pirates. Ah, oh, piracy. Yes, it's really good. It is really, really good. And and like I said, I, I played most on the, on the PSP one. That's why I really sunk a lot of time in um, on the handheld. But since then, I have picked it up and I've got a copy on the original Xbox, which is really solid as well. It just kind of suits itself more to a portable game for me. And I think it's remarkable how little is lost, like playing it handheld like that. There's, there's very little taken out of, of the big kind of home console or PC releases. But more remarkable is how little of it has changed from the 1987 release. Like doing some research for this, when you kind of look at footage, obviously it looks very different because it's had years and years to, to kind of get better in that sense. But in terms of the core gameplay, it's almost identical, aside from kind of a few extra features that were added in, in later iterations. And as you say, when you shouted piracy, it's, it's essentially a pirate simulator. So you, you sail ships, you hunt for treasure, you, you engage in kind of sea combat, sort of firing cannonballs at other ships. Uh, you need to manage trade as, as you kind of either steal things or find treasure or, or find items and sell it back to towns. You need to woo regency. Yeah, you need to go dancing. Uh, you might board enemy vessels and have a little sword fight. Uh, you might ransack towns. And for me, for the variation of, of stuff within it, it's, it's without question the best pirate game I've played. Not that I have a, a huge range of, of knowledge on pirate-themed games, but it's, it's certainly one of the best. I mean, reading up and, and looking at footage of, of Rare's Sea of Thieves... Uh, that came out a year or so ago. Oh, yeah. I know it got massive plaudits for like the water simulation and then it had kind of like big semi-scripted set pieces that would, would jump out and, and, you know, surprise players, whatever. But none of the coverage that I, I read or watched because I, I don't have an Xbox One anymore suggested that it had any of the sort of mechanical depth of, of this 30-year-old game. So despite being like around the same themes, it, it didn't seem like it would have held my interest for as long as, as Pirates did on the PSP. Like I'd, I'd be very happy to be proved wrong if I one day play it and decide I love it. But, you know, we, we talk about Banjo-Kazooie this episode. I, I think it's been a long time since Rare have had that form, which is still really sad, I think, because I think, you know, we've all got quite fond memories of these games looking back on them. Or maybe not you, Jonathan, because you didn't have a bloody N64, but Minty certainly. Wow. <laughs> I mean, each play session... Much like the other kind of Sid Meier, Sid Meier games, even like Civilization, is dynamic. So key elements are shuffled or, or randomised or moved around. So the locations of treasure you're hunting or the pirate rivals you have or, or some of your player stats and things as well are like decided by chance. So every game you start off and it's quite a disorienting. So similar to when you play like a real-time strategy game like Command & Conquer 
where the first bit is just kind of finding your feet. There's the kind of fog all around you. You don't know where any enemies are. You need to explore. The fog of war. It is. Exactly. That's what it's termed, isn't it? The fog of war. But it needs you to to explore. It needs you to kind of go out fact-finding, work out kind of where your location is and what you're doing. And what I really liked playing it and what would make me go back again and again is as you sheepishly sail further from your starting point, you begin to become more aware of your surroundings (laughs) and uh, grow into your character. And I think it's a game that does a lot to give you real player agency over the type of pirate you wish to be. So there's there's moral choices, though not in the same way that Bioware would go on to have kind of like a bad and good meter on, on kind of conversation choices. And you probably can't shag all the pirates. <laughs> yeah. But you, you would you would do things that kind of would change how you felt about your character. So it's, it's a strategy game, but essentially it's a role-playing game in a very traditional sense of the word that you are playing the role of whatever pirate you want to be. And in, in terms of language, I wrote here in my notes just because it popped into my head. You're not the, as in definite article pirate, but you are a, you are an indefinite article pirate and one that is sculpted around your own actions. And I think that's really nice to kind of build it, you know, however you want to build it. So the narrative is, is yours to kind of play around with. And I think that's what makes it really exciting to play. So you might have a really long life of plunder. You might rescue your family, which I think is kind of the loose motivation for the, the game story. You might find buried treasure or you might just fall at a really early hurdle, die in a battle and, and you know, get dysentery or something. It, you know, it, it could be that sort of story. <laughs> and while I, I've never got into kind of proper, you know, the Forex strategy games that say you have to explore and expand and exploit and exterminate and all that, something like Pirates is really manageable and it's really, really approachable. And it scratches a lot of those same itches that, that ask you to kind of like explore and find things out and, and get around in a world without you having to you know plan world domination it's, it's not as uh, grand as that so instead it's, it's just about your stature and fame growing as as you grow as like a player that kind of knows more and more about the game and despite the fact it has had so many remasters and, and remakes I, th- I think it's a wonderful game that is really ripe for another polish up like it's the type of thing that i think would fit really well on the switch because stuff like i know there's a civilization port to the switch now again it just feels like a bit too big and if I'm playing something that's kind of like handheld that I'm just sort of relaxing in the evening, I think Pirates is a game that I'd happily go back to and play again in that sort of context where it's just, you know, you can play for half an hour, see how you do, pick it up the next day and away you go. If you've not played it, it might be worth picking up and, and giving it a go uh, because it is a very good game and my 71st favourite game. So that wraps it up for another week. We've had another three games. Firstly, we had instruments but animals then we had sonic and knuckles and then we had pirates in many ways three games all about animals (laughs) for pirates are the echidnas of the sea (laughs) did you did you say that in your year three presentation as well (laughs) (laughs) if you've enjoyed this episode or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes please do like and subscribe leave us a review share it on social media tell your friends if you would like to get in touch with us feel free to find us on facebook if you search for our three cents you can get involved in the conversation you can ask us some questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode or you can reach out to us individually to challenge us or simply enjoy us in an online way. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. You can find me at Minty Boo. <laughs> and please do join us next week for our number 70s. Boss level. Thank you.